Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights, and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? G'day and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program this afternoon. We're glad to have you on board. February 13, one day before Valentine's Day. Have you got a Valentine, Hunty? I do. You do? My beautiful wife. Proof that God exists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't take too much notice of Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, do you buy your wife something? Don't make me feel bad here, man. Uh, well, I, I express my sentiments of love on that day in many ways. Often it's uh, an, an SMS early in the morning when she's at work, um, usually a nice Facebook post, and um, usually a bit sarcastic as well, which I like to do. Uh, what else? <laughs> um, I take her out for dinner, uh, for sure. And okay, so you go out for dinner on Valentine's? Wow. No, no, because that's that's a mug's day to take people yeah. out for dinner. Okay, you go another day. <laughs> we go another day. But we celebrate Valentine's Day on a different day. Yeah, no. I'm never... Sometimes early, sometimes late. My wife's my Valentine every day. Nice. <laughs> February 13, 44th day of the year. Can you believe 44th day of the year, our second program of the year? Oh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. What happened on this day, 1542, King Henry VIII executed his fifth wife, Catherine oh. Howard oh. For adultery. Oh, dear. He was 49. She was 17. Oh. Shameful thing, King Henry. And I think he'll answer for that one day. Did she commit adultery? Um, yeah, probably. Seems so. But you don't commit your wife. You don't You don't execute your wife. This the, the, Henry VIII, I mean... That's disgusting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. He's an off king. Whenever I look at him and I'm into history, Henry VIII of England is an off king. Um Moving on, 1633, on this day, February 13, Galileo arrives in Rome to defend himself against the Vatican and the accusation he was counting, he was advancing the idea that the earth revolves around the sun. Huh, the heresy. <laughs> <laughs> Later proved to be true, but he had to recant and go back to the fact that everything revolves around the earth. 1861, Abraham Lincoln became president of the United States of America. That's a big day, actually, yeah. in history, February 13. Not long after that, the Civil War started. And the Civil, Law, uh, the Civil War was about 
emancipating the slave. Now, a lot of people will say it wasn't. It was about the southern states trying to secede from the Union. But they're trying to secede from the Union because the North was emancipating the slaves. So it was about emancipating the slaves, in my view, anyway. 1866, outlaw Jesse James holds up his first bank in the US and steals $15,000. That's a lot of money back then. It would have been. He died not long after that. Shot in the back by a friend so they could collect the reward money. Wow. Uh, 1913, the Dalai Lama proclaimed Tibetan independence from China and they've been fighting for independence ever since. 1914, copyright established in the United States of America, Hunty. Mm-hmm. Uh, February 13, 1955, this is a big one. Israel obtains four of the seven Dead Sea Scrolls. Wow. I think they've got most of them now. We saw them when we went over we there. We did, that was Remember awesome. Remember we went in the oh, museum? Fantastic. Yeah, they're big deal. All the Dead Sea Scrolls were their copies of uh, the oldest copies we have of sections of the Bible, um, over 2,000 years old. Proof that the Bible hasn't been altered down through the generations and hundreds of years that it's been copied and well, pretty good evidence anyway. It's great evidence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 1991 on this day, U.S. bombs an Iraq shelter, killing over 334 mostly innocent people. That's bad. Terrible. I remember that. In 1984, on this day, six-year-old Texan Stormy Jones gets the first heart and liver transplant. She lived about another six or seven years after that. She's a very sick little girl, but it was the beginning of great things in medical science. 1996, uh, take that, disbands. Mm. And the British government sets up phone cancelling services for those who are upset. <laughs> Can you believe it? What's happening to us in the West? Um, and, and on this day, February 13, 2008, Kevin Rudd makes an apology for the Australian Aboriginal people, which I think, in my view, amounted to nothing <laughs> because things have not improved for our Indigenous people a whole lot since that day. And government are good at that. They're good at making big grand statements and drawing attention to themselves oh, real bad please. at making a difference to the people mm. on the ground. Birthdays, 1974. Robbie Williams. Well, that's the reason to take that fell apart. Well, it fell apart on his birthday. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Deaths, only one death of note. Uh, 2002, Waylon Jennings, great country singer. He died on this day. It is World Radio Day. So I guess that's an important one for us, aren't Absolutely. You? you want a health tip? Oh, is it more tofu? No. Can you reverse <laughs> years of bad eating quickly? Don't know. Can you? What do you reckon? I guess you probably can. Yes. For the most part, many complication health risks experienced from food for poor food <laughs> choices. This is you, Hunty. Yes. Poor food choice. Me too. <laughs> Physical inactivity, that was us. And too much stress can be quickly and effectively improved by changes in lifestyle and habits. Nice. That is good. Word of the day. Here we go. Vertiginous. What's its first letter? V E R. T-I-G-I-N-O-U. Not a clue. S. Can't even guess. Vertiginous. It took me a while to guess too. Um, think vert. Vertig. Yes. Vertigo. 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 Yeah, you're onto it. Mm-hmm. Vertiginous. Means extremely high or steep. Okay. Yeah, not a bad word, is it? Not vertiginous. Bad. Yeah. Sentence. You leave the bus and find yourself on a vertiginous cliff overlooking the sea. Okay. I had to work hard to get you and me into this. <laughs> Vertiginous. Okay. Hunty realised that he could never defeat Lloyd in a motorcycle race as it was an insurmountable vertiginous... Oh, here we go. ...challenge. More fiction. <laughs> well, is, is that fiction? Is More that, fiction is, for is, is that fiction or is that the truth? No, you wouldn't stand a chance <laughs> against the mighty Battlestar Galactica Harley. 
That we we once had motorcycles in our youth. We did. Uh, unfortunately, we've got old, haven't we, Hunty? That's it. Well, bills. Hey, before we start our program today, yep. and we didn't get into this last week, and we need to get on into it again. If you've got a comment you would like to make or a question you would ask, like to ask mm. Aussie Pastor, yes. are you ready for this, Hunty? Yes, or do I need we to, would love w- to hear from you. So I don't need to waffle? You've got you it ready to go? To waffle, always ready okay. to go. Yep. You can send your... Your questions or your comments, you can send them to us one of two ways, or both ways if you like. You can text us on 0488880851, or you can email us, and the email address is really simple, theaussiepasta at gmail.com. So the SMS number is 0488880851, and the email address is theaussiepasta at gmail.com, and that's easy. Yeah, it is. Have we got questions? Today? Yeah, yeah. It's the beginning of the year. Yeah, but we've got space for more. So, yep, please keep sending us your questions. We'd love to, we'd love to hear so the questions. So if they send them in to us live, do we yes, read them out on the day? I will, if we've got space and time. But, <laughs> Often time jams is at the end of the program. But at some stage or another, we will read them out. I guarantee at some point we'll get to them. It's right. Okay, Hunty, you want Alrighty. to open with a prayer? I will. Definitely, Father. Thank you again, Lord, for allowing us this platform to reach into our community. Lord, today I pray only and specially for our beautiful listeners, Lord. Please wrap your loving arms around them and bless them abundantly, I pray, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This is a video from a young fella called Ryan King. It's a great story. It's a short story about how Jesus rescued him. And you know what, Hunty? Yeah. That's what this program's about. It's about giving Jesus mm-hmm. a chance to rescue you. And there are a whole lot of you out there who are listening to this program who don't really walk with Jesus, who don't know Jesus so much, but perhaps your heart's open to giving Jesus a chance. Listen to this short. I like these testimonies. Yeah, Hunty. I do too. Listen to this short, powerful testimony. My name is Ryan King. I grew up in a a nice house, uh, kind of a suburban setting. My mom, she was a successful school teacher. My dad, he was a successful lawyer with multiple offices. From the outside looking in, it looked like we were living the all-American dream. But on the inside, it was a whole nother story. So when I was 14 years old, um, we found out that my dad was living a double life. He was having an affair with his secretary. He had been living this double life uh, for years. Because of my teenage immaturity and my anger towards my dad, I started rebelling. I got in with a rowdy group of friends and we would go out, we would do destructive things, uh, we would destroy property, we started drinking alcohol, we started smoking cigarettes. When I graduated high school, the world to sin was open even more. After I moved up to Flagstaff, Arizona, I realized that all of my sin, pain, regrets, anger, and sorrow uh, would just come right with me. It was there where I began drinking heavily. I drank and smoked till I passed out. I hit the lowest point of my life. I walked outside and I started looking off into the distance. I was so numb to life that I was just sitting there and the snow started piling on my arms and on my knees. I really started thinking about life. I started wondering, is this the meaning of life? Is there a purpose for my life? But it was at that moment where I knew that I needed God. And I would start looking up YouTube videos about heaven, about hell, about Jesus, 
about God. I started hearing these testimonies from people who went through similar things that I went through. They ended up living totally new, amazing lives with Jesus Christ. And I got on my knees and it was at that moment where I experienced this heavy weight lifted off of my shoulders. I began reading the Bible. All the questions that I had in life were being answered by the Bible, by the Word of God. I began to see that there was a, a difference between Jesus and religion. And I realized that my salvation is not based on my works or what I do, but it's all about what Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. And that's where I began reaching out to the homeless. We would minister to pimps, prostitutes, ex-cons, and gangbangers. I wrote a letter to my dad and I told him that I had forgiven him because Christ forgave me and I asked for forgiveness as well for all of the things that I did. And I was able to forgive all of the people that have hurt me in the past because of the forgiveness that I received through Jesus Christ. He has filled all the, the voids in my heart. Um, he has given me peace, love, joy, contentment. He's given me a plan and a purpose. I know that now that no matter what happens, I'm gonna be okay because I have Jesus Christ. He is here. He's real and he loves me. When all foundations have been shaken, when I'm left standing in the
trust the victory of your cross and fix my eyes upon you Jesus for you are God and I am not you are good and you are faithful as you help and from the start you That's <laughs> Philippa Hannah, and she's uh, she's uh, um, going big guns at the moment in the United States of America. Big, yep. big gospel singer. Yep. And that song is called, and I'll get this right, You Reign and You're Still God. I thought it was, yeah, You're Still God. Yep. Yeah, You Reign and You're Still God. That's nice. the name of the song. And my wife found her for me, and nice. I really, really like her music. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. So you're probably mm. going to hear a little bit more from Philippa Hanna over the next few weeks and months as we introduce some of her music on our program. News. Yeah, what have you got? Do you know why we do this news section, Hunty? Have you ever stopped to think about it? I think it's great to reflect on where the world is versus what the Bible says is going to happen. That's where the world is, where we are in history and what's going to happen. That's right. Russia calling for civil war on the Texas border. Did you read this one? I did. Amazing. AI. Russians are using, they're not Russians, but the Russian government, I guess, is using AI. Do you know what's happening down there on the Texas border? No, not a lot. You've got the National Guard and the State Guard. Um... Two different entities. The National Guard's run by the feds and the state, and I think the the other one, the local one, is just run by Texas. Well, the local guard has gone in and set up razor wire on the border between Texas and Mexico. Right. Uh, For some reason, I'm not sure about the politics of it, Biden, President Biden doesn't like that, and so he sent the National Guard in to take the razor wire out. But the local guard's saying, no, you're not going to do that, and there's guns involved here. Mm. There's been no shooting, but there's certainly a fair bit of tension. Um, wow. So far, the the National Guard has backed down. That's Biden's troops and haven't enforced. But the reality is in the United States of America, as in Australia, it is, uh, it is the uh, role of the federal government to secure the borders, not the states. Right. And so you could argue that um, politically here, Texas is in the wrong. And in fact, the um, US Supreme Court has, has said that Texas is in the wrong. Well, there's, there's factors here. I mean, how many busloads of illegal immigrants... Does Texas have to well, send to Washington can, before they listen? You can get into that argument, oh, but it does, <laughs> doesn't change the fact that under the Constitution of the United States of America, the federal government is in charge of the borders. But what if Texas says you're not listening to it us? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Texas mm. is not the federal government. Um, can't. And so what's happened, though, is the Russians are sending through social media, through AI bots... Well, that I can explain. <laughs> ...messages, messages, messages into 
Texas, to the people of Texas, trying to stir up a civil war. That's right. How would they do that? To it's, start it's, off look, with? it's fairly easy to do. I'm going to give you an example that's that's funny and in my world. For example, someone sets up a fake Facebook page and then writes a post about how useless Toyota Land Cruisers are and how Toyota's got to recall thousands of them because the design faults and they're rubbish. Now, a lot of my friends who are diehard Jeepers will see this posting, oh, yeah, Toyotas, they're rubbish, and they'll share it on their page because of their bias. And so what the these hackers are doing is they're putting up posts that feed into people's biases and then people see it and go, oh, yeah, that's right. They put it on their page and then it's shared and then it's shared and then it's shared. So all you all you have to do to get a post to, to be shared is you, you appeal someone's bias, you make up a story that's not true to further your ends and you publish it on Facebook. And when you've got hundreds of thousands of them being correct launched into Texas. I mean, people say there's more than half the people on Facebook are fake or they're bots. Okay. So there's a lot of them around. That doesn't surprise me, actually. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I hope and pray the union, um, the, the American experiment's going to be okay. Uh, I think there'd be a lot to be mourned if America fell over into civil war or anything stupid like mm, that. Mm. And I think it is important that I, uh, uh, that the, the legislative, uh, the, the, the different um, forms of government in our countries respect the boundaries that they have, even if they may not like what, say the federal or state government is doing and the state government in Texas needs to respect the federal government and if they don't like it they need to go and whoever it is in the state government over there they need to go and run for president simple as that simple indeed yeah yep. um, I don't agree with everything they're doing on the borders over there either but you can't you cannot step outside your boundaries in government or you've got anarchy mm. uh, and when you've got the Russians coming in and stirring it up it, it only makes for very serious stuff. Mm. The cars Aussie like, apparently we like big utes, big four-wheel drives, and we're not happy that the government is trying to take them away from us. Well, that's because we're, we're tradies, we're sports people, we like to caravan, we like to go fishing, we like to tow a boat, we like to tow a box trailer, and you can't do that with a Corolla. I think it's just because we like big cars. <laughs> most people aren't tradies. Most people don't have boats, and most people aren't towing box trailers. I can tow a box trailer with my Toyota Corolla. Yeah, but your Hyundai would struggle. What? And a do it easy. For the listeners, the Hyundai is a bigger car. He just doesn't like them. Um, we like big cars, Hunty. Okay, is that a sin? Oh, I can see that we like we like to have space. We like to be comfortable. We do. Yeah. Aussies like big cars. I think we like we got a big country. Yes. We travel big distances. We like big cars. And if you get in my Toyota Corolla versus my Hyundai Santa Fe, you go in the Toyota Corolla to Perth or you go in the Santa Fe, which one do you want to go in, Hunter? Well, we went to Perth in your Santa Fe. That's right. And there was only three of us in our tents and our luggage, and we were crammed to the rafters. If we'd had a ute, we could have stacked it on... Stuck that in the back wall of our camping gear, would have had a much better time. What a whole lot of hogwash. Oh. <laughs> Hunty gets in the car. He flies across from Sydney to Perth. It's a fairly big four-wheel drive to Santa Fe. First thing he does is he demands the front seat. Of course. My cousin has to get in the back. I never got in the front again. That's it. For the entire trip to Sydney. Well, I was filming, remember, out the front window. Oh. <laughs> For about 10 seconds a day. <laughs> We like big cars. We, we do. don't. We don't like the idea that the government's going to restrict us from our big cars. I don't like the idea. Probably a lot of listeners do, but the fact is, my big Santa Fe does six litres per hundred on a good day, Hunty. Yeah, less, but, but it's front wheel drive. Yeah, but less sometimes. Well, it's four wheel drive actually. It's 
Good. Only four-wheel drive in case of emergency. Yeah. Well, that's all you know. Well, not in case of emergency, in case of need. <laughs> so if I'm on the sand and I need four-wheel drive, it clicks into four-wheel drive. Yes. Nothing wrong with that. How's that gearbox going, mate? Pretty good. That's good. Beautiful, actually. Not a pro- not a single I heard, problem. I heard you were worried about it. No, not worried. Why would I be worried? Okay, well. I'll tell you what, I don't own a Jeep. If I owned a Jeep, I'd have a whole lot more to be worried about. Well, my than Jeep tows my caravan beautifully. Yeah, at about 150 litres per 100 k. 13.3. Yeah, yeah, in mm, your dreams. Mm, mm. Um, I like this one, airline to weigh passengers and their baggage. It's actually a bit of a crock, but yes. Why is it a crock? Well, there's a lot of truth to it. I mean, obviously the pilot needs to know, by the way, my son's a pilot, the pilot needs to know where the weight on the plane is and if it's balanced properly front to back and left to right. That's an imperative. But a lot of the airlines are selling every available nook and cranny for freight. Mm. And so if they can accurately weigh the passengers rather than take the standard 88 kilos, which is what the Civil Aviation Department says everyone weighs, if they can weigh them exactly, then they can say, yep, we can take more freight. Or if it's, you know, inclement weather and the runways or wind, they can say, you know, our safety margin can be increased or decreased. I like it. I like it. It's a great idea. As long um, as they don't charge us fatties more. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they don't charge the fatties more, I'm all right about that. I like it. <laughs> and I have, but there are some people who don't like to be weighed. Well, you're not going. It's not. It's not on you. It's not written on your ticket. No one um, is going to ever know. It's only one person who's got the computer as you walk past. No big deal. So when you see Russia calling for civil war in the United States, when our freedom's been taken from us, can I say that, Hunty? Yes. Telling us what cars we can drive yes. and what we can't. Yes. Look up. Jesus is coming soon. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This is an old song, Hunty. I love this I song. almost thought I'm going to get Hunty to introduce this one. I will. And you know why? Why is that? Because I know you're a real fan. Oh, an absolute real fan. Who is it? It's Amy Grant. And she's singing? And she's singing El Shaddai, which I think means Almighty God, I think. It does. God God, God Almighty. Almighty. Yeah, yeah love, love her. She was another person who I played incessantly in my late teens. Anyway, with no further ado. That was about 100 years ago. That's it. Power of the name, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. 
That was Amy Grant from, that's a blast from Hunty's Past. Absolutely was. Yeah, so when you were a teenager, seriously, that would have been 60 years ago, wouldn't it, Hunty? <laughs> Somewhere around that. I'm younger than you, remember. Yeah. And you just turned 60. Um, Harold, welcome. You there, mate? H- how are you going Good to up? be back with you too. How are you going up there oh, in the heat of Northern Australia? It's nice and warm and it's humid and it's a bit of drizzle coming down at the moment. Are you up on the Atherton Tablelands? Yes, we are at Atherton itself. Isn't it cooler up there? A little, but a couple of degrees. Okay, not too much, <laughs> huh? This guy, Jacob Arminius, we're going to look at today. When I sent this little note to you after you'd sent me uh, the information yep. on, I, sa- I said, I recognise how important this man is to my own faith and beliefs. He's a great guy, and he really brings the truth of Christianity out. And not as well known as some of the major reformers either. Um, let's right. Look, let's look at Jacob Arminius. When was Jacob born? Well, he was born in October 1560 in the Netherlands. You've got to realise that Luther had been gone dead about 14 years and Calvin was gone, so the originators were gone, and he comes in at this time. The Protestant Reformation still burning bright, though. Oh, yes, it is. Tell us about the fate of his parents. Well, his dad died when he was very young. That must have been a great blow. And his mother was killed in the Spanish Massacre in 1575. He was only 15 then when she died. So who adopted him and what happened? Well, a year or so before his mum died, his pastor said, because his dad was gone, I'll adopt him and I'll send him to school in Utrecht. The pastor was the the saviour for this guy. But he never lasted long either, is that right? That's correct. He died and uh, poor Jacob is left, but someone else says, I'll look after this guy 
and he sent him off to a school in Marburg. Now tell us about jo- Johann Coleman. I think that means John in the English. Uh, That's right. Yeah, he, he had a bit of an influence on him early on. Well, after Marburg, Arminius went to uh, Leiden to the university and Coleman was one of the lecturers there. Now, Colvin was a great exponent of John Calvin and Calvinism. And uh, for young Jacob, for God to choose you and not to choose others, then he said, that's a tyrant. I don't like that. But he was influenced by this Calvinist guy. Did he adopt Calvinism early on? Not really, because he hated the thought that God had chosen some and tossed others into hell. And he had good reason to be suspicious of that theologically too. Um, Where did he then move to study? Sure did. Well, he moved to Geneva and he studied under Beza. Now, Beza took the place of Kelvin. It was a Calvinistic place, but here he is in Geneva still studying. But he upsets the Geneva authorities, perhaps over theology. Is, Is that right? Where did he move to? Well, in Geneva, he upset them because he defended a humanist and uh, he had to move on to Basel. So where was he then called and to what? Now, he's having an interesting life. He seems to me like he's moving around. He's still establishing his faith in a sense. He's under the influence of the Calvinists, but he's also studying his Bible and discovering truths for himself. What happens? Well, he's still in his 20s and he's called back to the Netherlands to pastor the church in Amsterdam. Was he a good pastor? He was. He was ordained in 1588, and he was a good pastor, and he was a great preacher. Was this a Calvinist church, do we know, or just a Protestant church? Do we not sure? It was a Protestant. Probably came from Luther as much as anything. But this guy, he really found the truth as he studied Romans. And the truth is what? That Jesus calls everybody, and we're the ones who make the call on whether to follow him, not him. Is that correct? Well, God asks us to choose. He gives us free will. Mm. He, we are not robots. And Calvinism says it doesn't matter what you do or who you are, you're either in or you're out. But And, uh, God, and God, God, de- says, God decides that before you're born. Yeah, that's Calvinism. Yeah. Uh, what set him against Calvinism? Because he starts to harden against this uh, Protestant doctrine. What set him against it? Well, he really... As he studied Romans, he found that grace is the answer. God is eternal. He has a gracious degree in Jesus. He determines those who are his followers by their choice. And if they have faith in him, they're his. Okay. And so it's up to us to choose. Yeah. Yep. This is what we believe today. Did, did he ever marry? Did he find romance? Because well, yes. he's a young man. Yeah, he he was 30, and he married Lisbeth Rail. so he got married when he was 30. He gets involved in another dispute in 1591? Oh, yes. He's, he's always involved with, the, the this time, the Burgomasters. We'd call them the, the mayor of the town and so on, and he tried to keep the peace. Uh, that's, that's Jacob Arminius. Yes. <laughs> was that a theological thing or more just a day-to-day secular we're not sure. It could, have, it could have had a bit of theology mixed with it too. We're not quite sure all about the dispute, but yeah, he tries like to keep the, the peace. Burgermaster's like the town mayor, is that correct? 
That, that's right. Yeah. So he has to escape. He goes somewhere else. Where did he go in 1603? He's on the move, he this guy. Back, he went back to Leiden. That's the university where he started out. And he was there to teach as a lecturer. Were his theological views considered orthodox? Protestant no. orthodox? No, because the uh, while Luther said it's by free grace, this guy emphasised free will. And that was seen as a little unorthodox. But he stays in Leiden, uh, Leiden as a lecturer at the university. Was he opposed when he preached and teach these views? Oh, no, he seemed to get by there. Um, he, uh, but there was a guy there, another lecturer. He didn't like this, so he opposed the views of Arminius. So it seems to me that everywhere he went, he did... He did uh, face arguments. He faced opposition. He did have challenges to what he was trying to preach, which was the free will. In other words, you choose whether you're going to follow God or not. Um, Did he die young? Did he die old? No, he died young. He was just 49 when he died. Do we know why he died or not really? No, uh, just it's old age in those days. Yeah, it was. Um, Are his views reflected in Protestantism today? Yes, they are, because his view of free will, uh, John Wesley embraced the Arminian theology, and it's come down through all the Methodists, and a lot of Protestants today would believe that. I think it would be fair to say that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a branch of Armenian theology. Is that correct? That That is true, yes. Yeah, and that's why it meant a lot to me when you sent me the story of this guy's life, because I recognise that he was one of the major thought uh, if you'll want to say, um, I don't like the word ancestors, but he certainly was one of the ones that set Adventism on its way. Correct. You're yeah. right. Um, what difference did he make? Last question. What do you think he, how would you look at him now? Well, I think when you see how Calvinism had gone across the Protestant world, here's this guy that brings in free will. And so he brings in grace but you have to choose it, and that's come right across Protestantism today. Would you think Protestantism today, and this is a question without notice, is more Calvinistic or more Armenian? I think it's probably half, some of it would be slightly Calvinistic, not as extreme as Kelvin was, but a lot of it is Arminian. I was talking to a pastor from the Calvinism um, way not so long ago and there's no doubt Harold that they in a sense kind of drift away from that now they're uncomfortable with the idea that God selects who's saved before we're even born correct yeah yeah so I think that that aspect of Calvinism might be dying out of Protestantism which is a good thing thank you Harold for that story I really enjoyed that um we'll see you next week we'll see you next time yeah bye-bye You're listening to The Aussie Pastor, here on Faith FM. This is the Chris Family Singers singing, I reckon, what might just about be my favourite all-time song. That's a big call. I've said that a lot through the years, this song and that song, but this one is right up near the top. It's a simple one. It's a hymn. We sing this in church all the time. I think if I ever have to lie on my deathbed, if I was singing a song, that's a bit romantic, isn't it? It doesn't happen. <laughs> but if I was singing a song, it would be this one, Jesus, Saviour, Pilot Me. This is a beautiful rendition.
that song hmm it it um when hunty goes hmm, means he probably doesn't but i don't know no that means i was actually busy doing tech things <laughs> oh. and not listening hmm. <laughs> uh sometimes hunty has something to say about my music choice on Often, when we're program. off air <laughs> <laughs> i want to talk about alcohol Ooh, there's the most widely used social drug in australia it is a depressant it slows down messages travelling between the brain and the body. Did you know that, Hunty? Did not know that. It can affect... I suppose why you fall over when you're drunk, I suppose. Yeah, it can affect people in many different ways. The riskier someone's level of drinking is, the more likely it is to cause serious health and personal and social problems. Heavy drinkers, binge drinkers and very young drinkers are potentially at great risks. And what it does to your health, a lot of people don't realise this. I'm a teetotaler. You know what that means, Hunty? Because mm, I am too. Yeah. What's that mean? Uh, you avoid all alcohol. Oh, I do. 
Why? Well, it's got huge health risks. Breast cancer, bowel cancer, throat cancer, tongue, yep. mouth cancer, tongue cancer, esophagus cancer, liver diseases. I mean, it goes on. Cardiovascular disease, heart disease and stroke. And then, of course, there's all the accidents and falls that happen as a result of the the, the drunkenness that alcohol brings do on they, people. Do they still think it kills brain cells? Yeah, of course. Okay. And I'm here to tell you today that I think that alcohol, and I know this is not popular and there'll be some of you listening to this on radio, will be jumping up and down. I get it. That's okay, but it doesn't change the facts. Alcohol is the greatest drug curse Australia faces and has faced for many, many years. I come from a family of alcoholics. I have seen what alcohol does. And today, just for a few minutes, I want to go back in the vault and I want to look at a sermon I preached a little bit back about alcohol. I think you'll find it interesting and we'll talk about it later. Thanks, Hunty. Does God drink beer? I think it's a good question. And I'll tell you why I think it's a good question. In Australia and in the Western world, we, our culture, our society, definitely has a problem with alcohol. And you won't find too many out there in our community or inside the church who will argue with that point. We have a problem with alcohol. How many of us don't cringe at the end of the year as we see our young people up on the Gold Coast involved in schoolies? soaked, some of them for the first time in their lives, soaked in alcohol, misbehaving badly. Or our sportsmen, and Australia is a land renowned for their sportsmen. We have the best cricket team in the world. We have the best rugby league team in the world, arguably the best rugby union team. Shall I go on? We definitely have the best AFL, AFL team in the world. But you watch our sportsmen on television and we watch them from afar, young men and women, and we see them struggling with alcohol. We see them even struggling in what I would call the, the, the benign, peaceful sport of swimming. Alcohol is a problem to our young sportsmen and sportswomen. In fact, alcohol, if you're going to be honest, is a problem to our society and it's a problem to our culture. In fact, now, I'm not hanging dirty laundry out here. I think most of us realise that even in Adventism, there are some, not many, but there are some who are arguing for moderation rather than abstinence when it comes to alcohol. Each year, 3,000 Australians die and some 10,000 need ongoing medical treatment for alcohol-related harm. These people are dying, 3,000 of them, eight 747 jumbo jets, 3,000 people a year in our country are dying as a, as, as a result of alcohol-related harm. That's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. Disturbingly, excessive alcohol consumption contributes to one-third, one-third, of all road deaths, half of all domestic, half, do I say it again, half of all domestic, physical and sexual violence and 80% of all nighttime assaults. Unbelievable. Binge drinking, we've all heard about it, is highly prevalent among teenagers 
and young adults, with alcohol being responsible for the deaths of more young people under 35 than any other drug. And most of you know what happens, young people, and we've got them in this church today. Some will be watching this telecast on television. Young people go to concerts, they go to raves, they drink, they mix with other drugs, they're mixing a depressant alcohol with a stimulant, other drugs, and the, and the results are often fatal. It kills, alcohol kills more young people in Australia and in the Western world than any other drug. And it's legal. And it's promoted. And it's encouraged by our culture and by our society. It causes just about every single cancer known to man. It causes mental health problems. I've just shared with you, alcohol is a depressant. It is not a stimulant. It causes mental health problems. I remember when my marriage broke up. I went into a depressed state. My neighbour came across to me. I knew, I know that he was trying to do a good thing. And he puts his arm around me and he says, Lloyd, you know what you want? I said, no. He said, go and get a case of beer and send yourself blotto. So I put my arm around him and I said, man, that's a depressant. It'll take me even further down than I am now. And he scratched his head for a moment. He said, you know what? You might be right. <laughs> alcohol causes weight gain and obesity. And no, I don't drink alcohol. It causes heart disease, it causes strokes, it causes reduced fertility. If you're trying to have a child, young people, young married people, don't drink alcohol. It causes diabetes, it causes irreversible brain damage. One drink, hear me, scientific fact, one drink and you will begin to experience a deterioration and damage, you will begin to experience it in your brain. I've been to people's homes where the husband is an alcoholic. I've seen a wife, a good woman, who wants her marriage to stay together, who's battling for her family. And I've been into homes, I've walked in, I've seen the bruises on her face and on her arms as her husband, saturated in alcohol, experiences irrational anger and beats his wife as a result. This really is a curse on our culture. It causes unrestrained behaviour, much of the immorality that we see in the world today. It doesn't happen until people are loosened up by alcohol. God has put in each of us restraints which normally hold us back from such behaviour. But when we get alcohol in us and our brain numbs and we are no longer able to decide and to choose as we normally would, we behave in a manner that is not only irresponsible but is often immoral. And it doesn't stop there. As I was investigating, as I was studying for this subject to present to you today, I couldn't believe the damage alcohol does to the unborn child. And I tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're religious, whether you're an Adventist or who you are, if you are pregnant, if you are expecting a baby and you are drinking alcohol, you are mad, playing crazy. It's one of the most dangerous poisons you can put into your body if you're expecting a child. And I thank God... Truly, I thank God that I had a mother who did not drink 
while God was forming me in her womb. You know, alcohol damages an unborn child. It damages their brain as it develops. How serious is that? It disfigures the unborn child physically. The nose is often shorter and stubbier. The forehead is flat and less developed. Often there is no chin. There's deformation of the bones, of the skeletal structure, of the hands and the feet. Alcohol is about the worst thing you can take if you are pregnant expecting a baby. You are impacting not only your own life, but the future of another human being that God gave you to bring into the world, and that's a serious thing. That, my friends, is a 2010 XR8 Ford Falcon. <clears throat> Comes out in September. Under the bonnet is a Coyote V8, a living, breathing machine. Aluminium block, that's a quarter of the weight of a steel block. Means something to some people here anyway. Quad overhead cam, how could you go out and buy a Holden? <laughs> Special extractors. It's what cars will be like in heaven. <laughs> now, people tell me, they say pastors shouldn't like such things. Well, this pastor does. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it coming out. I'll at least have a test drive in it. I won't tell the man I haven't got the money to buy it, but I'll have a test drive. What would happen if I had the money and I went down and I bought this beautiful car? And the first time I filled it up, I put diesel instead of petrol in the fuel tank. I asked Lance, mission director here in this church, he knows engines. I said, what would happen if I did that to this beautiful car? If I put diesel instead of petrol in the fuel tank? He said there would, when you start it up, would it go? Yes, he said it would go initially. He said, but there'd be so much black smoke coming out of it that you would provide an argument, a strong case for Kevin Rudd's ETS. <laughs> the car would have black smoke belching everywhere. I said, how long would it go for? He said it'd go for about one kilometre and would stop. That's what would happen if you put diesel into this car. We are, my brothers and sisters, fearfully and wonderfully made we are much, much more complex. The design that has gone to, in, into us is far more and beyond what any car will ever be. And yet when we put alcohol into our, into our bodies, we might as well put diesel, in fact that's worse, into our petrol tanks of our cars. It does the same thing, only worse. The car stops. You can clean it out of diesel, clean the injectors and get it going again. Often with alcohol you stop and only no one, no one, only God could ever get you going again. There are good health reasons. Don't even go to the Bible. God forbid. But don't, if you don't even go to the Bible, there are good health reasons why you should never put alcohol in your body. And they are strong. And doctors and surgeons and scientists are moving away. They are moving away from this idea that you can, can control alcohol, that you can have it in small amounts. They are moving from that position to total abstinence. Why? Because the stuff and the human body just do not go together. But what does the Bible say? 
What does the Bible say about alcohol? Well, in the next few minutes I'm going to show you. In my Bible study, as I prepared this subject and through the years, the Bible is always negative. It is never positive about alcohol. And you can go to a number of stories. Genesis chapter 9, Noah, great man of God, builds the ark, goes through a flood, saves the world, comes out of the ark one day, grows a vineyard, gets drunk, lying naked on his bed, shaming himself in front of his three sons and his family. The Bible is negative in that story about alcohol. Or you can go to Genesis chapter 19, you get the story of Lot who had to escape for his very life when God destroyed Sodom. His wife disappeared in a pillar of salt. Lot and his two daughters went up to a cave, lived there. His daughters got him drunk, committed incest and brought into the world two pagan, heathen, wicked nations. The Bible is negative about alcohol. You can go to the most... To the wisest man the Bible, God says, the wisest man the Bible says, God says, the wisest man the world ever saw. And he says in Proverbs 20 verse 1, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Proverbs 20 verse 1. One drink, remember, one drink, scientific fact, one drink will begin the process of leading you astray. One drink will impact your ability to make decisions. One drink. And so what Solomon is really arguing for here is abstinence. Not the controlled management of drinking, but abstinence. Solomon again in Proverbs 23 verse 29 says, and what a description of what alcohol does to you is this. Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes. You think Solomon's been there? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. How true that is of alcohol. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I do not feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? It's the experience of an alcoholic. And it's where alcohol leads so many people. And there are so many lives in our world and in our history that promise so much and have been cut short, have been cut down in potential and reality by this evil poison that we have taken since the beginning of time called alcohol. And God in the Bible always argues for abstinence, not moderation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do I have to read that again? So whatever you eat or whatever you, now help me, what does it say? Whatever you drink, do all to the glory of God. Now tell me, how can you, as a, I'm talking to Christians for a moment here, how can you stand up and say that I can drink alcohol even in moderation and do it to the glory of God when one drink takes away your ability to choose, to decide and to fight evil and to walk with God. The Bible says whatever you eat and whatever you drink, you're to do it to the glory of God. You can go to the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You will not find an argument in this holy book for, 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 for alcohol consumption, whether it be in moderation or otherwise. 
The Bible argues, God argues, God encourages, God teaches, God even demands that we be people of abstinence. I found this not so long ago and I've shared it with the church once and it still amazes me. Solomon says in Proverbs 31 verse 4, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Solomon says, you need to understand, it is not for kings to drink alcohol. Kings in Israel, kings in the old Hebrew Old Testament of ancient times, these kings were not to drink alcohol. Now, now watch this. I find this fascinating. And I believe this is how the Bible works. You can plunge to depths in the Bible and it'll give you a truth that you never, you never thought were there until you go into it. The Old Testament says, Kings, you are not to drink alcohol under any circumstances. So now you come across to the New Testament. And God says something in the New Testament to his people, to his church. Look at this. And God has made us, who's us? You, followers of him in the 21st century. And God has made us unto our God, what? Kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth with God forever. In the Old Testament, God says kings are not to drink alcohol under any circumstances. In the New Testament, God says you are a king and you are a priest in his church. And just in the Old Testament, kings were told not to drink, they were to be men of abstinence. So in the New Testament, God's new kings, that's you and me, are to be men and women of abstinence, not moderation. In closing, does God drink beer? A lot of Christians will use John chapter 2. And they'll say, Lloyd, in John chapter 2, God's first miracle, Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus created water into alcoholic Fermented wine, that's what they will claim. I am telling you as we finish this sermon today that that is unequivocally wrong. It cannot be right. It's not possible that Jesus would have created water into wine in his first miracle. Why not? Look at this text. Luke chapter 19 verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. The sole reason Jesus came to earth, the sole reason he left his throne in heaven was to seek and to save the lost. How could Jesus, if he came to seek and to save the lost, use your reasoning, how could Jesus create a substance that would take away the ability of those lost to think and to, to reason and to decide for him? It's not possible. Amen? Can't be. 
Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, study his ministry. See how he act, acted. See what he did, everything he did, in all his actions, everything he taught, everything he preached was designed to draw people to him. Never once, you can't show me one example of something did, Jesus did or he taught that would drive people away from him or from God. Everything, his whole life, was designed to draw people to him. Jesus was a God magnet. Jesus was God. He did not repel people. He did not discourage people. And he certainly didn't create things and put them in their way to send them away from God. Everything he did drew them to God. It has to be unfermented wine. There is no option. We have no choice. His whole ministry is a testimony to that fact. Does God drink beer? Certainly not. Should we? Should people in the church? No. Should our viewers? No. Should humanity? No. Daniel 12.1 says that we have a time of trouble ahead of us like the world has never seen before Jesus comes. We need our full faculties, all our faculties. We need our minds to be sharp and pure and clear. We have to in this church, you have to watching this on television, fight this last final conflict. The battle will be hot and it will be fought in your mind and in your heart. And if it's going to be fought in your mind and in your heart, then you need to have your mind and your heart in a place where God, where God can influence, where God can lead it, and where God can direct it. And if you're saturated with, in alcohol, that gives God no chance and ultimately you none. We have to fight this final conflict with our mind and our hearts. We live in an alcohol, beer-soaked culture. Everybody is into it. To resist calls for special faithfulness, a special loyalty. And I stop now by saying this and challenging you. If you want to resist the pressure of our culture and our society, if you want to resist the pressure that it brings to bear upon you, and if I want to resist, we need to be men and women of God who truly are faithful to him, who truly are in a relationship with him. And I know of no other way to do that as I close than to be men and women who spend time in the Bible in the presence of Jesus and in prayer on their knees in the presence of Jesus. And that's where you get the strength and the courage to resist the peer pressure that our culture brings upon us and upon you with the temptation and the seduction of alcohol. Be people of abstinence. Don't let the devil fool you with moderation. Be people of abstinence. Have clear minds and pure hearts so God can lead you through the times that are ahead of us. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a bit, but this song is about being free. Being free from these things that chain us. It's a great song. Comes out of uh, my favourite singers, I guess, Hunter. Yes. The Gaither Group. Yep. Um, and it's Woody Wright, Gary McFadden, and Sherry Easter. I think Barry McFadden, um, not Fadden, <laughs> has passed on, actually. Oh. Um, yeah. But it's a good song, and it's about being free in God from these sorts of things that chain us. 
For a long time I traveled Down a long, lonely road My heart was so heavy And sin I sank alone Then I heard about Jesus Oh, what a wonderful hour I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out through His saving power Thank God I am free, free, free From this world of sin Washed in the blood of Jesus I've been born again Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved By His wonderful grace I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the That's taken his fight Like a blind man who God gave back his sight Like a poor wretched beggar Who's found fortune and fame I'm glad that I found out He would bring me out His holy Song, right song. 
Now, we've got Gilbert Kanji online. I want to welcome you, Gilbert, to the program today. Thank you, Lloyd. Now, you're an interesting fellow because you've lived what I would call, of all the pastors I know, one of the most uh, varied lives, I think, possible because you've been a, if it's fair to say, you've been a church pastor. You've been a local right. church youth pastor. You've been a conference, which means more or less a state youth director for the church. You were division, never union. You, you looked at, went straight to the division, which is in charge of the Pacific. You even looked after the youth for the worldwide church. Is that right? Well, it has been my privilege, Lord. I feel very humbled by it, but it has indeed been my privilege. How many young people, when you were looking after the world church, were you responsible for? Do you know or is it impossible to know? Oh, it would be impossible to know, but if you look at statistics, it would be uh, in, the, in the 11, 12 million. Millions and millions and millions of young people. Did you enjoy that? Uh, you know what? It's, a, it's an interesting question because uh, when people ask me uh, this kind of question, I would normally say, yeah, but it was highly pressured. It was stressful. But I'm telling you something. It is in my years at Washington that I, that I experienced what I would call convergence. Convergence is when who you are and the skills that you are and the scope of the work that's been assigned to you kind of line up. It, it's, it's a very interesting thing. It's a cocktail for stress. But if you approach it differently, if you feel called to it, then it becomes one of the greatest privileges and joy that you can uh, experience in the line of service. Convergence sounds like a good word to me. It does. Yeah. yeah. Like everything coming together. This is where everything. God called you to. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I experienced Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you're still working primarily with young people. I think it'd be fair to say that because you are setting up and have set up a school. Dare, could you call it a school of the prophets, Gilbert? <laughs> it's 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 a lot. It's claiming a lot, Lloyd. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is a training school. Uh, it's a centre. It's an institute um, to assist. Um, I was going to say young people, but people in general, uh, first of all, come to terms with um, what their calling in life is about. We take the view that everyone who steps up and signs up um, to the faith um, is uh, gifted, is called to go on the front line uh, in many different ways, and becomes an advocate and becomes a rep in the marketplace of this world for the kingdom of God. And so our calling and what catalyst, the word catalyst is you, it's a trigger, it's a springboard to, um, to assist people in coming to terms with that calling and then equip them and empower them and inspire them um, to be deployed where God is calling them. Okay, so, so the school's called Catalyst. Yep. Where is the school? Uh, the school is located on the campus of uh, Avondale University in Lake Macquarie, uh, in, specifically in, in the township of Kurunbong. How long does the course go for? Um, it, uh, we started with a 14-week course, but we've reduced it to 12 because we have... Um, a number of international interests and uh, because if you can fit it in a three months tourist visa okay. where you can 
study, so we've reduced it to 12 to allow for participation from other countries as well. So this is a school that's set up on the campus of Avondale University. It's a yeah. three-month course, and if I say it like this, you tell me whether I'm right or wrong or I haven't yep. quite got it. It's designed to help those who are believers, who love Christ, who've made a decision for him, to find their calling and show them how within their strengths to share Christ. Is that is that am I right there? I think it would be it would be a, a fair a fair assessment. I you know I I uh, I pick on the notion of if you are a follower of Jesus or you've come to faith, but it's also a very interesting exercise for people who haven't kind of necessarily crossed the line okay. to think about purpose. To think about their purpose, everybody needs a purpose to wake up in the morning and feel excited about the day and not just survive, but thrive. So I would say, yes, primarily it is for those who have stepped up because we're aiming in that way. But it is also a space for anyone to come and explore the notion of personal purpose in life. I've seen people attend schools like this and find Jesus, actually. Yep. Uh, yes, and find him in a, um, what sort of people are going to attend this school? Mostly young people or is it open to everybody? Okay, well, if we take the view uh, that everyone uh, is wired up with at least, we will call that a gift or a talent uh, to be involved in serving, then that's for everybody. Okay. Uh, but what we would say is that uh, who would that be probably in a pragmatic way, uh, more uh, kind of timely for or the circumstances would suit best would be, I would say someone who is finishing year 12 and and doesn't quite know what the future is okay. like, doesn't quite, uh, hasn't put his finger or her finger on what career. That is a great space for them to come and explore. Sounds and like... you know, Lloyd, the flip, the flip side of that is this. There are um, people who have moved away from the workforce, who are retired and got plenty of time and want to add meaning to their lives. And uh, one of the best students we had uh, for the first cohort, which was last second half of last year, was, was uh, Margaret. Uh, I can mention the name. You don't know Margaret. Yeah. But she, Margaret, is in her late 60s. And she said it was life-changing for her. So, you know, it's like if you have time and your your circumstances are favorable, we would say come and enjoy the experience. And you will have also other people who are in the workforce yeah. work and have a sense of dissatisfaction. Well, you know, Hunty's, there's the... Hunty's in his late 60s. So... <laughs> and I'm younger than yeah. Lloyd. <laughs> and, and he'll be retired. He likes to think he's younger than me. Um... Yeah, it, it, if I if I didn't know how um, how critical Hunty's role is with you, Lord, and what you do, <laughs> I'd actually Hunty, come and sign up. I'd love, love you. To, I love you. Mate. I'd love you to take him and retrain him to tell you the truth. <laughs> what subjects hey, do you? By the way, yeah, yeah, go. We have in the course. We realize how media, uh, digital technology is critical yeah. in 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 this slice of in that space. We got one of the best guys around the world um, who has been headhunted by, you know, you, your organization like the United Nations to come and teach uh, three days of digital discipleship. Who, who's that? that? 
Daryl Gunga. Yeah, I knew it was. <laughs> he's not one of the best. He's probably the best. Um, he's probably the best. Yeah. Probably the best. Yeah. Um, so, um, teachers, you've got Daryl Gungadu, yourself. Uh, uh, oop. Oh, mate. Oh, Lloyd. <laughs> oh, bastard. That's my wife ringing on the phone. She knows I'm on oh, radio yeah. too, man. <laughs> What's she doing? <laughs> teachers, there's you, there's Daryl. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, mostly, I teach These would be um, mostly people who have, sorry to interrupt, but these would be guys, that men and women that are proven in the areas they're teaching. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, we'd say they are number one practitioners. Yeah. And number two, this is not amateurish teaching. This is this is coming from people who are, we would say, who are involving best practice in their in their respective fields. Yeah. So we have, you know, I don't know whether they are there are younger ones and not so younger ones. There's Alan Walsh, Brendan Pratt, a young leader by the name of Christian Kopechanu. Um, and I don't know whether you know Johnny Wong. He has been a trainer and teacher for many, many years. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I know yeah. I know I know all those teachers. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been around yeah. a long way to, I've been around a long time, man. Um yeah. It, it, it actually sounds like, yeah, it sounds like an exciting course. Um, what are the dates? Uh, we we launch our second cohort on the 19th of February, which is, what, what are we today? Um, which is a week and a half away from now. Is it too late? Um, no, it's not too late. You know, it's like timing is important in life. It could be that there is someone listening here for whom, oh, that's an interesting idea. Let me give it some thought. But you could have one or two or three or 10 people uh, for who this announcement or this project is like the last link in the chain. Someone would say, you know what? I have been in the waiting room. I have been wanting or desiring something, and this is timely for me. So for these people, um, it would be, you know, it would be timely. I would say it's not too late. Jump on. How, how many? Others, how many courses a year? Just the one? No, we do two. We do one first semester, which is your February, March to June. Yep. And then we do uh, a second uh, semester in uh, beginning in late to July, beginning of August, right through to uh, November. Our time's up, unfortunately, but one last question. I've yeah. got to ask this. If I wanted to attend, yeah. how did I apply? Oh, there is uh, there is a website. Yeah. Uh, you simply, it's catalyst, C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T dot C, letter C, number four, and letter D dot A-U. I repeat, catalyst dot c4d.au and you've got all the information there what i want to do this because we've run out of time can i come back to you in the middle of the school year of your school year and talk to you about this absolutely maybe we can yeah. get some young people i i oh. would get some students uh, to join me and talk to you let's do that so let's give it a few more weeks to get going get moving and then we'll get you back how's that sound absolutely thank you lloyd thank you gilbert thank you see right. ya Bye. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This song's an oldie, hunty. Yep. This is my desire. It's from Hillsong. Yep. The reason I like this song after what we've just been sharing, because that's a, that's a school about learning to share Jesus. For some of our listeners, that'll make sense. For others, they're not in that place. But there's nothing more powerful 
than having an encounter with Jesus, being converted to his cause, and then having the Holy Spirit get inside you, and then your desire is for him, for his cause, for his kingdom, and to share him. Mm-hmm. That's what this song's about.
very emotional. Seems like we've been singing that song for a hundred years. Oh, it's not a beautiful song. We've been singing that church for a long, long time. That love song. it. If I could go back to when we first started singing that, I reckon I'd be a young man. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit more about alcohol, Hunty. Yep. Some of these facts and figures of Australians and alcohol might surprise you. I know they surprise me. Um, what percentage of Australians over a four-week period? So that's that's pretty general. What percentage of Australians you reckon drink alcohol, Hunty? Oh, 50. Only 50%? That's my best guess. Really? Yes. So you reckon 50% of Aussies over 18 yep. are teetotalists? No, but over four weeks? No, no. Four weeks, pretty much. The reason they do that four weeks is oh. it generally encapsulates everybody. Oh, maybe I've made a, a very low guess there. <laughs> 67.6% yeah, of far off. Aussie. Oh, that's almost 20%. 10. Right to 10. 50. <laughs> <laughs> you do need to go back to school and do math. All right, 17 to be exact. What's well, a problem? I actually thought it would have been more. Uh, no, a lot of the, new, the generation coming through now is not that interested in alcohol. Well, that's not what the figures say, actually. Oh. Those who drink most are 18 to 24. Oops. <laughs> so you got well, the that. generations behind me aren't that young. I'm um, old. <laughs> What do you think's the biggest uh, alcoholic drink Aussies drink? Oh, I think I know the answer to this. Is it beer? Uh, no. No. It's, it's wine. Oh, okay. 43% drink wine. 32% drink beer. 27% drink spirits. The big one that's on the grow is RTDs, ready-to-made drinks. What's that? Uh, it's, it's alcoholic drinks that you get which are ready to go, I guess. RTDs, I don't know. Huh, I don't, I don't know. know. Uh, gone from 10 to 20.8%. So in the two or three years, it, those drinks are really on the rise. Um, I think the thing that really uh, um, surprised me is that 33% of Australians don't drink alcohol. I like us. Mm-hmm. A teetotalist. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, well, I, my but, children's generation are moving away from alcohol. I don't know who your children are hanging around with, mate, because that's <laughs> not what I'm seeing and it's not what the stats say here. Again, the biggest drinkers of alcohol in Australia, 18 to 24 yeah, year Yeah, my olds. kid's in their 30s, mate, just okay. so let you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm amazed because... Yeah, your kids are in their 18 to 24s. <laughs> no, actually, one of my kids, two of my kids are out of that. Ooh, 25. Mm. Oh, nice. Mm, plus. But they are a sozzled generation. There's yes. no doubt about that. Yes. Um... Maybe as as people are getting older, they tend to drift away from alcohol. I'm not so sure about that either. Um, I spend a lot of time at the gym, places like that, trying to get fit. And everyone I talk to there, Hunty, is into alcohol mm. in a serious way. Mm. Uh, all my mates, um, just about all of them, uh, that don't walk with the Lord, they're into alcohol. Um, Christians and alcohol, do they go hand in hand, Hunty? <laughs> Well, does a, does a, a, lot Bible, of a lot of Christians drink. A lot don't, too. And a lot don't, that's true. Very yeah, true. in fact, I'd go further and say more don't than do. I'm sure of that, actually. Well, that's certainly true in our, in our church religion, Seventh-day Adventist. No, no, I, I, I speak a lot to um, other Christians, and there's no doubt that drinking is frowned upon wow. and is discouraged in most Christian denominations today. Right. Yeah, so I get that. Um, the Bible, do you think it teaches abstinence or do you think it teaches moderation? I think it teaches people uh, moderation. Argue, people argue this. Moderation is what I reckon. I would argue abstinence. Okay. In fact, I'd argue really strongly the Bible teaches abstinence. 
And we'll look at this over. Well, the... my drinking friends pull up those texts. Is it Paul who says dirt in moderation? What's what's their no, their run two text? He doesn't say that. He doesn't at say all. that. Okay, good. No, not at all. I want to look at one text today, just for a minute. Yep. And and then I'm going to look at more over the next few weeks, Hunty. Yep. Um, the Bible says here in Proverbs 23, written Got by it. Solomon. It was our scripture reading at the beginning mm. of the program. Mm. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Is the one who spends long hours in the tavern, trying out new drinks. And then the, Solomon says, don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it mm. sparkles in the cup, mm. how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. This sounds like abstinence to me, hunty. Okay. You'll see hallucinations. You'll say crazy things. You'll stagger like a sailor, tossed at sea, clinging to swaying masts. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another <laughs> drink? drink? Yeah. Yeah, pretty accurate description of what it is to be addicted to alcohol and have that stuff changing your life for the worse. And I want to say this because I know we're out of time, Hunty, but I want to leave something positive. If you want to give up alcohol, get help. If you don't think you're addicted, try and give it up and see what happens. Yeah, stop for a few days or a week. If you you can't give Mm -hmm. it up, then you're addicted and you need help. And there's some fantastic groups out mm-hmm. there that will help you. There are churches, Christian churches that will help yep. you. There's Alcoholics. Aye, aye. Yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous is magnificent. Fantastic. Yep. fantastic. If I was stuck on alcohol and I'm not, but if it was my drug of choice, that would be the guys I would go to every single time. I went with a mate in the 80s to be a, to be a support. Yep. And I could not be more impressed with how they they help you through that that addiction. Yeah, and by all means, go to God, but get help. And I think the first two stop is Alcoholics Anonymous. They are a wonderful group. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. And, of course, Hunty, there's no better way of giving up alcohol than to go to Jesus. That's it. To have a closer walk with him, and that's what this song's about. Willie Nelson. Oh, wow. And Patsy Cline. to 
feeble life is o'er And time for me will be no Willie Nelson, eh? <laughs> Legend. Not bad, on. <laughs> not bad for an old fella. Hey, you know it's my favourite segment coming up? Yep. Ask the Aussie pastor. Yep. Um, it is too late for you to send any questions today, but in case you want to send us one for next week, you can. You can text them to us on 0488 880 or you can email us, theaussiepastor at gmail.com. So the text number, the SMS number is 0488 880851 and the email address is real simple theaussiepasta at gmail.com alright and we have a go at every question don't we we do yeah let's get to the first question but I'll worry about the timer later get the first question underway ooh not surprisingly didn't Jesus drink alcohol uh no I like a negative question to start with I, I don't think he did I don't see any evidence anywhere in the Bible that Jesus drank alcohol. Um, why would why would anyone claim Jesus drank alcohol? Well, wasn't that a cultural thing? Didn't they? That's how they celebrated. Didn't they? Well, have... there were heaps of things that Jesus didn't celebrate in the culture. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Um, did the Israelites used to drink? The Israelis, Hebrews, Jews of his time drink wine. Yeah, for sure. But I've never read anywhere at all where Jesus drank alcoholic wine. Okay. Um, so uh, I would say a substance that takes away your ability to think, to ponder, to fight evil, to resist temptation, I couldn't imagine why Jesus would drink it. Actually, isn't there a text somewhere in the Bible that says if you're a king or a ruler or a government or if you're in charge of people, you shouldn't drink so yeah, you don't yeah. make dumb decisions? Psalms, I think that is. Yeah. Yeah, there is. But no, I, I don't see any evidence anywhere that Jesus drank. And if people saying that Jesus drank alcohol, I'd say, well, show me where. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, this this next question yep. is quite the follow-on from that one. Yep. Oh, dear. Probably from the same bloke. <laughs> Probably. Um, didn't Jesus turn water into wine for a wedding feast? Is that, is that in the book of John somewhere, John 2? Yeah, he did. But again, who says it's alcoholic wine? Didn't the guests say this is the best wine we've ever had? Yeah. They didn't say this is the best grape juice. Well, they'd use uh, in in those days they'd use the term wine to uh, describe grape juice and alcoholic wine. Uh, we do the same thing today. Do we? Yeah, of course. 
You can have non-alcoholic wine or alcoholic wine. You can go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go yep, and buy non, non-alcoholic wine in Woolworths today. Mind you, it seems like the alcoholized wines and non-alcoholic wines have started in my lifetime. No, they've always been around. There's always well, when been, I was eighteen, I had a hard always, time finding them. There's always been grape juice from the beginning of time. Oh yeah, grape juice. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yep. wine is grape juice. When you and me were in Israel, we bought wine. We bought grape juice. It wasn't alcoholic. Yeah, how nice and was it that? It was beautiful. Oh. I mean, that was that was <laughs> in a Bedouin shop. Yep. Um, Not far from the the actual place that Jesus. Performed that and miracle. it was non-alcoholic wine. Mm. And it was called wine. So yep. why do people automatically say that when Jesus turned water into wine in the wedding feast that it was alcoholic wine? I, th- I think it's to to advance an agenda, um, to advance a belief that they want to be there. And I want to go back to the reason why Jesus came. Matthew one twenty one. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So Jesus, let's look at it. Jesus is at a wedding feast. Yep. Do you really believe for a minute that Jesus would go to a wedding feast, the saviour of the world? He has come to save mankind. Yep. And at that wedding feast, in probably what was his first miracle, he would turn water into alcoholic wine so everybody leaves the wedding feast sozzled. Well, weren't those feasts over a couple of days anyway? Don't know. They probably would already have been drinking for a day or two. Don't know. Don't know. Mm. Don't know the answer to that. But mm. what I do know is I can't imagine no. for a single single moment that Jesus, the king of the universe, who came to save, save mankind, would create a drink at a wedding to send everybody drunk. Yeah, that's fair enough. Because if you're drunk, you can't you can't look at temptation. You can't look at sin properly. <laughs> you yeah, can't resist temptation. I mean, that temptation I, I remember huge. when I used to be playing football and all the boys would get drunk. I mean, all their inhibitions yep. are gone and yep. they'll do anything and say anything and be anywhere. I just can't believe for one minute, not for one minute, that Jesus is the saviour of the world who came purportedly to save men from sin, would create a substance in his first miracle to send men plunging into sin. It makes no sense. Gotcha. And so I make that statement on what I call the character of Christ. Yep. Why he came and how it would work. So did Jesus turn water into wine? Yes, but it has to have been because of the character of Christ and why he came, non-alcoholic wine. Okay. All right, we've got time for one more question. Yep. Should Christians support the Israelis or Palestinians in the current conflict? They should support both. And not to their military ends, but both peoples are hurt. Mm. Both peoples are wounded. Both peoples are broken. Both peoples are angry and at war with each other. And the best thing Christians can do is take Christ into the scenario. And it's interesting to me, and I've mentioned this on this program before last year, Hunty, yep. that in the middle of battle and war, that the only ones that are cohabiting really in peace over there are Christian Arabs and Christian Jews who are in, worship, who are in churches together in worship. And so the answer to the Arab-Israeli conflict is Jesus, not taking one side or the other. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Jesus Mm -hmm. loves Jews and came to save Jews. Jesus loves Arabs and came to love uh, save Arabs. And Jesus, oops, sorry, mate, I just knocked the water bottle (laughs) off. Jesus loves human beings and came to save human beings. So when people say, what side do you take? I take Jesus' side. What's Jesus' side? Jesus is for humanity. He wants to save the whole lot of us. There you go. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Wrap, wraps up this segment. Let's look at the next song. Well, we've got to have a sting, haven't we? That's what you've got on your oh, list. Oh, yes. <laughs> You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. 
I was wondering why you weren't getting into this song announcement. <laughs> Power of the Cross, Keith, Keith and Kristen. Get good song to finish on because it is. it's talking about what we were talking about at the end there, that Jesus is the answer and the cross. It's at the cross where you'll find that answer. Amen.
That's Christine Getty. She's an Irish girl, actually. What a beautiful song. Yeah, and she's a beautiful singer, too. I hope you enjoyed our program today. I know there's some challenging stuff on there, especially as we're talking about alcohol. And if you are in trouble with alcohol and you need help, well, I've got some stuff I can share with you. Just email me or text me the word beer. That's pretty easy. Easy. Email or text me the word beer. Where to, Hunty? Two zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one, Or you can email the word beer to theaussiepasta at gmail.com and we will get back to you. We'll more than do that. We'll send you some resources. Amen. And some places to go where you'll find genuine help. For sure. To get out of what I reckon is the scourge of Australia. It's alcohol. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being with us today. You're a good God. You're a God who wants us to be free uh, of these substances so that our minds are clear so that we can see you. Thank you again for being with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My name is Lloyd Grolleman and I'm the Aussie pastor. Hey, my name's Hunty and I'm the tech and we love you. But not as much as God does. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining the Aussie pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv.